right, thank you. As the ushers finish up, we'll go ahead and, and we're going to jump right in today, um, except now I'm going to have the song, It Is Well, um, With My Soul. Um, that's a shower song for me. This is way more information than you cared to have. <laughs> Where's Jim at? Jim, do me a favor and maybe kick the audio on in a second. But that's a shower song for me. That's when I, um, I just, I, that, that constantly as I sit, um, I don't know how you guys are with, with where your moments for reflection are. Some of you, it's while you're driving. Trust me when I tell you, I can't afford to not pay attention when I drive. Okay. Um, but so for me, it, it's, it's in the shower. It's, you know, whatever. It's, it is what it is. But, but in there, it's, I often have this reflection of the fact that God actually likes me. And I don't know about you, but the fact that God actually likes me continues. I mean, I'm a pastor. I know this stuff. I've been to seminary. We've done all this stuff. It's all, it's all fine and good. But it continues to surprise me to a degree that God actually cares for me, that because of God's love for me, it, it is well with my soul. So that is completely unrelated to anything we're talking about today, except for the fact that um, I showered. And judging by who sits next to me up here, you would think that I didn't, but it's okay. Um, and two, and, and more importantly, is that, boy, God just does love us. He's crazy about us. Um, and, and it's not a begrudging kind of love, but he just loves us so much. And that feeds into what we talk about here this morning, because we get in um, to our last week of our Why Church series. Now, um, in this series, what we've been doing, if you're just joining us today or later on, we've been, uh, we've been asking and answering all kinds of big questions about why church, objections to church, things that people have asked me personally, things that people have, have said as far as here's why I don't go to church, and we've been tackling those, and, and we've actually done quite a bit here in this series. Uh, we've answered things like, well, I'm already a Christian, so why do I need church? Okay, um, well, and of course the answer to that was, it wasn't overly profound, I didn't think, but, but it was pretty important, and the reason I need church is because I'm a Christian, Right? We read that in Hebrews, that God says, now in this new covenant, this is this new thing. You've got this direct access to God, and because of this new relationship that you have with God through Jesus Christ, don't stop meeting together. Don't stop worshiping. Don't stop coming together for these purposes. And then week two, we talked about the fact that I'm pretty messed up. Why would they even want me? And we said, look, if you're messed up, then you have joined a very non-exclusive club, because we're all messed up. Okay? And if we're messed up, guess what? Church is actually for us. It's not something to avoid because you're messed up. It's something to come to because you're messed up. And then a couple weeks ago, we talked about the idea that, you know, I've been hurt before, so why should I risk this? I've been hurt at church before. I've been church hurt. Why should I risk it? We said, well, you should risk it because here's the thing. If church is for broken, messed up people, if church is a hospital then what right did you have to assume that you'd be the only sick person there? Right? When I go to the doctor's office and I sit in the waiting room, it's not just healthy people who were there to take care of me. We're all sick. Okay? And then last week we talked about this idea that the church just wants to control us, to judge us, to tell us what to do. And the answer to that was simply no. 
as a non-Christian, the only thing the church is interested in is telling you about Jesus Christ. As a Christian, the church doesn't want to control you. As a Christian, the church wants to help you grow up to be who God has intended you to be. And remember, we said growth requires friction and heat. And so that's where we've been in this series. And, and, and the reason we reflect there a little bit is because all of those questions are about objections that have to do with my emotional um, feelings, uh, my emotional um, turmoil, the things that I'm worried about, the things that I think will happen when I get plugged into a church. But, but here's what happens with our last objection this week. This one has a little bit to do with the other people in my life. This one has to do with, I feel like I know what I'm called to do. I feel like I know what's right for me. But this, this one has to do with this idea that by pursuing what I feel like God has laid on my heart and what's right for me and my family, I feel like somehow that's going to cause problems to my family and with other things. And so we have this objection, and we actually have this in two ways. Uh, going to church in the first place will hurt my family. It'll hurt people I care about, so why would I do that? And I'm going to give you a, an example for that. That one's a little bit more rare, but Carrie is a perfect example for that. When Carrie and I met, um, and, and we started attending church regularly, Carrie's concern, we've talked about Carrie's, Carrie's family before. Carrie, of course, is my wife, and, um, and her upbringing was, was evangelistically atheist, okay? So not just um, we don't believe, but we are so um, sure that we don't believe that we're going to make it our business to make sure that everybody else doesn't believe too, kind of a deal, okay? And so, and, and Carrie had a brother, has, still has a brother, Jack, good guy, um, but, but Jack struggles with homosexuality, okay? And, and so when Carrie started coming to church, there was a very visceral reaction from her family, not just because they had all been atheists and this was kind of turning her back on that, but because also this felt like stabbing her brother in the back. And so there was this very visceral reaction. And so one of Carrie's hangups was getting to church because that's going to hurt people that I love. And so for the longest time, she was halfway in, okay? You can ask her about that later and how she fought through that. But, um, and then here's the one that I hear most frequently. What I hear most frequently is that changing churches will hurt people I care about. And so why would I want to do that? And, and this is, um, I'm going to be honest with you, this is not a topic I wanted to do. Because there's no way this topic doesn't feel self-serving even though it's not meant to be self-serving. In fact, this was a topic that when we came up and we sat down with the creative team and we started planning this series, they put it on the list, I took it off the list, and then they put it on the list again. Because for them, it felt big enough, right? Um, and, and so I've had and they've had conversations with people um, who, for whatever reason, have felt like their church wasn't doing it for them. Um, and felt like they needed to switch, but, but were, were apprehensive because of the tension it would cause. Because there's family at that church. Or because, um, you know, well, for, for any number of reasons. Okay? And I didn't necessarily want to address this one, but it came up enough that it feels like, well, we have to do it. We have to address it, and we have to address it because apparently um, this is a hang-up for people. 
Okay, and so we're going to have some, some pretty candid conversation today, and I'm going to say this, I am not looking for anybody to leave a good, healthy church to come to my church, our church, which I believe is a good and healthy church. That's not what I'm in the market for. So before you go away today and you're like, hey, I heard Pastor Matt say that everybody that's not going to Blessed Hope is bad, and they should switch no matter what their family and friends think about it, it's absolutely not what Pastor Matt is saying. In fact... Okay, let's look at it this way. Um, this is an important question because it's the answer to this objection is why go because well, the answer to why church depends a whole lot on what the church is. The answer to why church depends fundamentally on what church we're talking about. And if I were looking for a church, as much as I love Blessed Hope Church, there are plenty of churches around that I would also attend, okay? However, there are also plenty of churches around that I would be compelled to leave. So this is what we need to talk about today is what marks a healthy church and what, what perhaps isn't. And again, I want to stress this as clearly and painfully as I can, I am not suggesting that Blessed Hope Church is the only healthy church that exists. We have quite a few churches that I would be pleased to visit and go to if I wasn't the pastor here in Vinton. But there are also several that I would be compelled to leave. And we're not naming names, we're not going to get into that, but I am going to share with you three markers that I think are going to help you understand why church is worth it, even though it may hurt people. Okay? And we're going to start with marker one. Marker one is simply this, that Jesus must be primary. In a healthy church, Jesus is primary. We're going to look at this. I'm going to read you the first 16 verses of John 3. You all know John 3:16 very well. If you went to Awana, it was the first thing you memorized to get your little Sparky's vest. Raise your hand if you had a sparky vest. Okay, I had one. And then you got the crown that you put the little jewels on it. It's a big deal, right? I remember being so proud of my vest. I may still have it. I don't think it fits. I'm not sure who asked that question, but, but here's the thing. I could have got that vest three years ago and it wouldn't fit. But thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> anyway, uh, we know John 3.16 really well, but, but we're actually going to look at the first 16 verses. They're not all going to be up on your screen. We're actually going to work through this a little differently, but I want to read it up front for you. So you can open up your Bibles to John 3 if you've got them. Otherwise, just listen in with me here. Uh, but it says this, there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can, and I love this, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. 
Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from and where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. That's code for it really happens. You just can't explain why it happens. Then in verse 9, he says, how are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. And Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things. I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe when I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but one, I'm sorry, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. And then this is the verse that we know so well. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So that's where we kick off this idea that Jesus in a healthy church must be primary. And so let's walk through this. First thing we see is that Nicodemus, in the first couple of verses, Nicodemus comes at night. Nicodemus, a respected Jewish religious leader, part of the ruling council, the Sanhedrin, a Pharisee, okay, um, well-educated in Jewish culture and Jewish religious law, and he's breaking ranks here. See, I want you to understand that this is, this is Nicodemus breaking ranks because the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees, they hate Jesus because Jesus has called them out. Jesus has told them that their religion is worthless because they're missing the key relationship. So that's what's happened here, and they hate him for it. But, but he's breaking rank, and he comes, but he comes at night. By the way, if you've ever gone to church and you felt like by going to church you were letting people down, or by showing up at a church you were going to be judged, I, you know what, I heard this story very um, recently, actually, uh, of a gal who was, was thinking about switching churches um, from another church in town. Uh, one, because she felt like at that church perhaps Jesus wasn't primary. But yet it was this maybe, maybe not, and part of the issue was because I'm going to get family grief for it. It's going to hurt them. It's going to make them mad. They're probably not going to talk to me if I do it. And if you've ever felt that way, if you've ever had that weighing on you, well, look here, Nicodemus gets you. He goes to Jesus at night because he doesn't want to be seen. He wants to have this conversation in private. So he goes to Jesus and he says, hey, look, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Basically, what he's saying here is, you teach me. We all know you're from God. We all know this is real, okay? Teach me. And you got to love Jesus' answer here. We're going to skip ahead. We won't look at these in order. But in, in verse 3, he, he replies, Nicodemus says, I know you're from God. Teach me. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, buddy. Unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Like, this isn't going to work for you unless you're all in. This won't work for you if you decide that you have to do this privately. Coming at night, not good enough. And he says, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of the Spirit. This is a spiritual reality. You have to be born again. You have to be committed. You can't be who you were and then start to get yourself worked into Christianity. It doesn't work that way. You have to say, Jesus is primary, and so I'm all in on Jesus. 
And when you're all in on Jesus, I, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, and we're going to get here a little bit later, but when you're all in on Jesus, people will hate you for being all in on Jesus. People that loved you before Jesus will hate you when you are all in on Jesus. And that sucks. That is terrible. There is no worse feeling than when somebody that you love and somebody that you have a relationship with and and somebody that you're connected with all of a sudden is angry and dislikes you and is upset at you because you're following Jesus. Jesus has always been a dividing line. But this is what he's saying. This is what he's saying. He's saying, look, 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 look. You want this to happen? You need to be born again. He says, I don't know what you're talking about being born again. In fact, look, this is his answer. What do you mean? Like, how can an old man go back into the mother's womb and be born again? Right? How are these things possible? This is Nicodemus. He's asking these questions because he doesn't get it. Right? He doesn't understand what in the world Jesus is talking about with this idea of being born again. He doesn't know how it works. We have that issue, right? Like even now as I'm talking about being born again, you know the terminology. It's church talk, right? Oh, I'm a born again Christian. What in the world does it mean? Well, look at me. It means you're born over again. What's happened here with Nicodemus though is he's taking that to mean something literal. He's taking that to mean that I'm physically going to be born a second time. And he's using his brain... He's a smart guy, and he's trying to figure out how this works, and he's like, okay, Jesus, I know you're from God and everything, and I don't want to argue with you, but walk through this with me. How am I supposed to crawl? This is terrible imagery. How am I supposed to to crawl back into the womb and then have this happen a second time? By the way, never mind. I'm just saying, when I was born, I was almost 12 pounds. My mom was angry. I like to think that when I was a child, she withheld some love. Just a little. No, that's not true at all. Um, Mike was her favorite for other reasons. Um, but, But listen, I was almost 12 pounds. It's not happening. Nicodemus is pointing out that physically, Jesus, what you're saying can't happen. What you're saying won't be the case. But that's why Jesus says, okay, look, 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 you're confused. Yes, it physically can't happen, but that doesn't mean it's not real. And he uses the wind as an example. The wind blows around. You don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it's going, but you don't question the wind. Why do you have trouble understanding that something that's spiritual, just because you can't see it, isn't real? See, this is the whole idea of faith, is that just because it's spiritual, just because I can't look at it, it doesn't mean it's not real. Of course it's real. And then Jesus gets to this point, and these are the the real crux of this. He says, no one has ever gone to heaven and come back. No one has ever gone to see that this is all happening and come back and told you about it. But I, Jesus says, but me, I came from heaven. I was in heaven, and I came here for your benefit. So don't be confused when I tell you that you have to be born of the Holy Spirit. Don't think it doesn't make sense when I tell you this because I was in heaven and I came from heaven and I'm telling you this is how it works. 
And then this is the whole point. And then he gives this analogy of Moses in the Old Testament and the snake. Read through Exodus. You'll read that story. It's a great, it's a great picture of Jesus as, as the snake, which is the symbol of disobedience. And it's raised up so they have to look at it and they have to see it. And that's where their salvation is found. And they're rescued from the venom of the snakes, whatever. It doesn't really matter at this point. But Jesus uses this analogy and he says, just like that happened, I have to be lifted up. But if you believe in me, that's where your salvation will come from. So marker number one for a church, this is something you have to understand. Marker number one for a church is that Jesus is primary. If Jesus is not primary, then I have to wonder about the health of a church. If I were church looking and I were at a church where Jesus was not primary, I would leave. And somebody might say, well, Matt, wouldn't you stay and try to fix it from the inside? No. No. It's inauthentic. I might say to the pastor, I might say to the elders, I might say to the deacons or whoever's leading the church at the time, I might say, I feel like we need to make Jesus more primary. But, but if that's not going to be answered or if that's not going to be met, I'm not going to be subversive. I'm not going to work underhanded behind the scenes to try to get my way. I'm going to say, you know what, then this is not the church for me. And when I say Jesus is primary, I don't mean that we talk about Jesus. Because every church talks about Jesus. Even our Jehovah's Witness friends, they talk about Jesus. It's just not Jesus. I'm not saying that we mention Jesus. I'm saying that when we talk about Jesus, when we make Jesus primary, we understand what and who and why Jesus is. And this is the case. Look, Ephesians 2.8, we've talked about this so many times. God saved you by his grace when you believed. What? Jesus says in John 3.16, when you believe in me, Jesus, the son of God, the second person of the Trinity, God incarnate. That means God in heaven. This is what he says. He says, I was in heaven and I stepped down here. God in flesh. It says, when you believe in me, and so God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for it. It's a gift from God. And here's where, I, here's where I'm going I'm to caution you. This is the marker of a healthy church. A marker of a healthy church is to teach a church that teaches grace alone. Not grace and. Grace alone. And I want you to understand there's a difference between grace and then grow up. Because this church is always going to tell you, other churches are going to tell you, yes, grace saves you. Now, because you're saved, get yourself grown up. Let's work out your salvation. Let's grow up in faith. Let's get past the point where you need spiritual milk and, and let's start eating meat. Let's get healthy. That's very appropriate. But any church that's going to teach you that it's grace and that saves you, has taken Jesus off the top of the list and it's made something else primary instead of Jesus. That's why we've talked here before that your baptism will never save you. That your confirmation where you say those things, that'll never save you. Your first communion, while it's pleasant and fun and it's great for pictures and you get to dress up and all that good stuff, that can't save you. And I've heard the argument, I've had the argument, we've had the discussion, but Matt, that's the way when Paul says it's faith, right? It's by grace through faith, okay? 
that what happens is when I'm baptized, that's the way that I'm exercising my faith to believe. Uh Uh-uh. That's Jesus and. That's grace and. And if you're curious, honestly, if you're not sure where we stand, then ask the question. If you're not sure where another church stands, ask the question. And the question is simply this. How are you saved? What's the gospel? How do I get reconciled to God? And if it's something besides Jesus, that's problematic for me. Okay, we continue. The next marker simply is this, that in a healthy church, not only is Jesus primary, but because Jesus is primary, growth is the norm. Look at Philippians 1.9. It says this. It says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. Simple, right? This is Paul talking. This is Paul, the same guy that said, um, it's not your good works that save you. It is simply God's gracious gift of Jesus Christ that you access through your belief in Jesus Christ and your faith that he's real. You have faith that he's real. You believe in him. Then you access his grace. The same Paul says, but you can't stop there. I pray that you will overflow more and more and that you'll keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. And, and, and this is about love. This is, this is the way this works. And so we see the, the understanding here that what Paul is asking us to do is grow. I think I've told you this probably a gajillion times. I'll tell you one more time. And after the series, we can stop talking about it. But, but I went to a church as a kid that was, Jesus was primary. Jesus was primary. Jesus was primary. Jesus was primary. I could say it like a million times and I would be underemphasizing how much this church preached the gospel. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. But growth was not emphasized. Growth was not the norm. And just because the church preached Jesus didn't make it a healthy church because the church wasn't about making disciples. The church wasn't about discipling people to make disciples. The church wasn't about growing up in your faith and cutting sin out of your life and being more mature. The church was about making a profession of faith so we could mark it in the book. We got one more for Jesus. What? We had an altar call. You came down to the front. You prayed the prayer. Good. We're going to mark it in the book. We got one more for Jesus. Every Sunday, every time. Growth was never emphasized, but here I read Paul, and this is Paul. Paul, we talked about this a few weeks ago. This is Paul. Paul who says, I haven't finished yet. Yeah, I know that you're looking at me to guide you and teach you and share all these truthful things with me. You're looking at me to tell you how to live right doctrine, right behavior, how to trust Jesus, how to follow Jesus. You're looking at me for all of this, and he says, but I haven't got there yet. He says, I haven't finished this thing. I haven't accomplished all this. I'm not grown up the way I should be yet. He says it later in the book of Philippians. He repeats himself in case you're unclear. He says, I'm not saying that I've grown all the way up yet, but I'm striving for it. I'm reaching for it. I'm racing for it. And this is the same Paul who says here, look, you're a Christian. Great. That's salvation by grace through believing faith in Jesus Christ. But you got to grow it up you got to be different today because of the gospel. And the reason these are true is because if the gospel is in you, then it's not just you woke up one day and you said, you know what, I think I'll follow Jesus today. And tomorrow, maybe I won't feel like following Jesus, but it's okay. 
But on Wednesday, for sure, I'm going to work hard. That's my workout schedule, right? Maybe I'll do it today if I feel like it. I'm not going to feel like it, right? Like I am never so motivated to work out than the next day. <laughs> like, I mean, seriously, I'm going to nail that tomorrow. And, and I set my alarm for six and it goes off and <laughs> turns out it's going to be seven pretty soon and it's time to wake up the kids. And I'm like, I didn't do it today, but tomorrow I'm going to nail it. Christianity isn't like that. It's not like that because if Jesus is primary, you are literally born again. And because you're born again, this is the necessary next step. The necessary next step says, no, 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 your love is going to overflow more and more. And you're going to grow in knowledge and understanding. And so a healthy church is a church that helps you grow up in faith. Not just teaches you about Jesus, but then teaches you about what Jesus means for your life. Okay? And then we get to the third marker, the final one here, and we see that um, this is the one that gets a little touchy, a little tricky. Jesus is primary, sure. Growth is the norm, right? And by the way, when I say growth is the norm, there are churches where people won't grow. Let me rephrase that. I said that completely wrong. There are churches where growth is the norm, where people won't grow. I feel like at Blessed Hope, growth is the norm. That doesn't mean you're guaranteed that you'll grow when you show up here. Your home church, if it, or if you're listening online or whatever else, your church might be a church where people grow, where growth is the norm. But if you haven't grown there, perhaps it's not the church's fault. The system basically should be this, that there is a current of growth. And if you want to swim against the stream, okay, that's on you. Because the attitude is if you're swimming against the stream, that something's going to happen. Eventually, you're going to tire of swimming against the stream and you're going to come back the other direction. Or you'll probably decide that it's not a church for you. And that will make us sad. It'll break our hearts for you. But We've never done anything but, but say true things. And there are plenty of churches that the, the, the norm is growth. But people dig their heels in. And then what happens is they leave the church. They leave the church because, well, that church didn't help me grow. Oddly enough, it helped 100 other people grow, but not me. So it wasn't for me. I'm not sure that's on the church as much as it might be on you. But Jesus has to be primary. Growth needs to be the norm. And the third thing to think about is that right doctrine is critical. Look here at what Peter says in 2 Peter 3. Uh, there's just these three verses here, 3, 16 through 18. He says, some of his comments, now in context, because I couldn't fit it all on the screen. In context here, Peter is actually talking about Paul. Okay, so in his letter, Peter is referring to the apostle Paul, right, um, who has written lots of epistles, and it's these letters that get confusing, right, because it's a new kind of thing, right, especially as he writes to Jews, because Jews always said, follow the law, follow the law. You want to be right with God, you follow the law. Paul comes in and he says, no, 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 no. It's not about following the law anymore. Now it's about grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's how you're right with God. And that rightness with God pushes you forward. But trust the right thing, and Paul writes all of these things about how to live 
and what to think about God and about doctrine and all of this stuff, Paul writes these letters. Paul's letters, if you, if you haven't read through Paul's epistles lately, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, then you get into the letters, you get 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus and Philemon, and you read those letters, Paul's epistles, there is something really profoundly awesome about those letters. And that's what Peter's referring to here is those letters. And he says, look, some of his comments are hard to understand. And those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different. Okay? And then he says, just as they do with other parts of Scripture. By the way, interesting side note right there. What Peter is telling us is that he considers Paul's writings to be Scripture. Holy Spirit inspired. He's putting that on par with the Gospels. He's putting that on par, on par with the Old Testament, saying, just like they've messed with Scripture, they mess with Paul. Okay? And, and they twist it. And this will result in what? In their destruction. So be on guard. Then you won't be carried away by the errors of these wicked people. Rather, you grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What Peter is telling you there is that doctrine matters. And that you can't be carried away by the twisting of sound doctrine. Now, I'm going to hurt some people's feelings here, so listen carefully and give me grace. I don't hurt your feelings because I'm mad at you. I hurt your feelings because I love and care about you. And if you want to have a conversation with me about this afterwards, let's have a conversation about this afterwards. Some of you purposely subject yourselves to teachers who twist truth, who twist right doctrine. And we, we, we build a, a mental dam in our brain, and we say, well, I'm not going to listen to them about that stuff, but I'll listen to them about this stuff. It doesn't work that way. Because when it's foundational, it feeds everything. And so we got to be really careful about this. we got to be really, really, really careful about this. I'll give you a couple of examples. Rob Bell. Rob Bell is a guy that I used to listen to and I used to read and I used to trust. And then Rob Bell officially went off the reservation by twisting doctrine with, with a doctrine called grace wins. I mean, get this, I understand what I'm saying right now. What I'm saying is I'm against grace wins. But that's how they always do it. That's the problem with new doctrine. New, doc, new doctrine sounds so great. It solves all of our problems. We get to all have all the cool stuff of Christianity, right? The salvation, the Jesus, the everything. But then we get to say, but, but grace wins. So even if you don't, even if you disagree, it's okay. I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to be mad. No, 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 no. It's all fine because grace wins. You know, so the doctrine that says it doesn't matter what you believed in your life, but that you're going to heaven anyway. It's twisting and Paul says, or Peter says, yeah, sometimes doctrine is hard to understand, but you, 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 got, you, you can't align yourself with people that twist it. I'm going to tell you this now. If you're reading something about someone who has figured out a new way, like a new way to interpret Scripture, <laughs> odds are they're twisting doctrine. Like the church has been interpreting Scripture in its correct context for centuries. 
okay, for millennia. And now all of a sudden we're saying, uh-uh, there's a different new way. I've figured out in my quiet private study to interpret scripture that makes everybody like us. Listen, if you're at a church that's not teaching sound doctrine, and sound doctrine is about the gospel, it's about the Bible. Like we have churches, we have churches that are going to tell us that the Bible's fine and good, but there are other things that are just as important as the Bible. Have nothing to do with that church. We are going to have teachers who tell us the Bible is fine and good, but we've got all of this other tradition that's just as critical and important. Uh uh-uh. uh. I like tradition, and I like the early church fathers, and I like some of that stuff, but it's never on par with Scripture. We're going, to have, we're going to have churches that will tell us, well, Jesus is great for you, but there's other ways for other people, as long as they're sincere, it's going to be all right for them. It's the twisting of sound doctrine. You're going to have churches that are going to tell you, you were all confused about sexuality, but there's a new, better way to think about sexuality. No. No. What is Paul or Peter's telling us here? He's like, look, be on guard. Don't be carried away by the errors of those wicked people who, who are going to try to have their cake and eat it too, which is the dumbest expression ever. Because why would you have cake that you're not eating? <laughs> Makes no sense. So these people are going to try to have their cake and yours also. We're going to start a new expression. But that's what's happening. Abortion. Like, guys, I mean, across the board, Jesus has to be primary. That's first and foremost, right? Growth has to be the norm. But what I'm growing in has to be the right things. And I'm not talking here about iffy stuff, right? I'm not talking here about, well, boy, Matt, I really don't think people should be speaking in tongues. Or, Matt, I really think people should speak in tongues more often. I'm not talking about that stuff. I'm talking about core, essential doctrine. Those are preferences. Preferences are important, and we have those discussions about preferences all the time. I had a discussion with somebody this week about preferences in worship, and I greatly appreciated that discussion because I want to have those conversations. Those are good conversations to have, but we're never negotiating on essentials. And if you're at a place that's negotiating on essentials, listen, It's time to walk away. It's not time to fix it from within. It's not time to to have a subversive movement. You heard me say a few weeks ago that there was a time when this church broke from another church, that this church developed from a church split. I didn't elaborate at the time. Maybe I should now. This This church developed from a church split for these reasons. Because there was a point in time when Jesus wasn't as primary as he should have been, and growth wasn't the norm. But this, this, this part here, from what I understand, this part, this right doctrine stopped mattering. And when right doctrine stops mattering, then it, 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 it's time to maybe look around. Okay? And you're like, okay, Matt, that's fine and good. Those are the reasons that, that maybe I should see or, or, or pick a church or choose or how. But, but it doesn't answer the question of, but why should I do that to people I love? Well, you know why you do that to people you love? Because it's worth it. Because salvation is critical. And you know what? It's not just for you. It's for your family. It's you. If you're married, it's your spouse. It's your children. And you know what? 
I don't think, I mean, we've talked about my parents before, and, and, and I am, you know, it's, it's, I'm going to tell you the story about here's how great I am, because usually I can tell you stories about here's how terrible I am, and they're good stories because they're true, um, but in this instance, I get to have done it right. Okay, we'll ask the praise team to come up and prepare to close us out, and I'm going to tell you this. There's this moment where when I got heavy into the church I was at um, as a young adult, Carrie and my kids, that it didn't hurt my parents as much as they were confused. Because my parents, they were Christians. They thought. But my saying, you know what? Yes, maybe it hurts feelings, but we're going and we're selling out for our family and we're doing this. And you know what? Eventually, my mom starts to come. And I remember the Sunday when my mom, um, and, and you know, I'm going to say it in, in the old time Baptisty way. Uh, the Billy Graham revival way. I remember the Sunday when my mom gave her life to Christ. It was in a series on Leviticus, if you can believe that. Leviticus. About right worship. To the point where she got to, she just threw her, I, I remember it vividly. She just threw her hands in the air like, that's it, I'm done. And she came up to the front of the church and she knelt at the altar and, and she just gave up. And shortly after, my dad followed. And I'm gonna tell you this, sometimes it's worth it well, it's always worth it for you and your family, but sometimes it's worth it for people that don't understand why initially. I don't have time to read you this. I'll just set the, tell you the first part of it. it. says this, I've come to set the world on fire. This is what Jesus says. And then he skip ahead and he says, do you think I've come to bring peace on earth? Sorry, Christmas lovers. About peace on earth. Good tidings and will, you know, all that stuff. Do you think I've come to bring peace on earth? No. I've come to divide people against each other. Oh, guys, this stinks. From now on, families will be split apart. Three in favor of me and two against, or two in favor and three against. And he says this, father will be divided against son, and son against father. Mother against daughter, daughter against mother, and he just continues the list. And he says, this is going to happen at some point in time. And I pray it is not there for your family. I'm dealing with it in mine right now. And it breaks my heart. But it is what it is. Because honestly, Jesus will always be a dividing line. Always. That's not new teaching. That's not me twisting doctrine. Don't walk away thinking, well, Matt tells me that, that becoming a Christian means that. No, but Jesus says, listen, when you follow me above everything else, some people will never understand. Some people will think that you've betrayed them. Other people will think you're betraying these grand ideas of the culture and the world. They won't get it, but Jesus says, I'm worth it. But don't make a mistake. He came to bring peace to your heart. He did not come necessarily to bring peace to your family. I hope that he does. I pray that he does. He did with my mom and dad. But there's other places in my family where he hasn't. But it doesn't mean it was the wrong choice. Because it was worth everything. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, as we navigate this this conversation as we wrap up this series and we talk about why church, why, why, why is it worth it? God, we understand that it's worth it because you are. It's worth it because you love. It's worth it because we are designed and created to be in this intimate relationship with you, to walk with you. 
and it hasn't happened. But God, you are, you are prepared to be the cornerstone of our life. You're, you've wired us that way to want and desire and need only you. And so everything is worth giving up to that end. Everything is worth risking to know you and to follow you and to be right with you and to lead our families in that and to reach out to others. God, we just love you for that truth. We thank you that you love us so much that you haven't left us alone, but that you've chased after us. Father, we love you and we praise you. Amen.